Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, I think we have an awesome show lined up for today, as usual. Um, you know, we have some great topics here, very timely topic. We're talking about interest rates. Uh, as yeah. you know, the Fed's slated to raise interest rates today as we're recording this. And uh, there's always the big question of what does that do to the stock market? What does that do to my investments? What does it mean long term? So we're going to dive into that. There's some new research from DFA. It's the fund group we use about what interest rates does to the stock market. And if there's any correlation between the ups and downs of the stock market, very interesting findings. I think people will be interested in hearing this. That's right. Stick around. And we're going to follow that up with a, um, uh, a discussion on have you had the talk with your children? Now, we're talking about the money talk. Okay, I was the money say, talk. Be I, careful. I was hoping we were keeping this clean. We're keeping this clean. We're talking about money and um, just making sure that you have discussed with your kids, um, you know, some of the basics of money. And we're going to go through some interesting stats out there. There's some discrepancies between uh, what parents are, are saying they're teaching their kids and what the kids are actually retaining. So we're going to dive into that. It's very, very interesting. So make sure you stick around and, uh, and tune in for that. Yeah, I think that is going to be interesting. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 20 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have over 25 years in helping corporations and individuals with planning and investments. And we also have a special guest here. We have my dad, Jim Travis, with us today. Welcome. Awesome. Well, glad to be here. That's right. So, um, yeah, so, welcome, Jim. so dad is going to be asking the question of the week in a couple of minutes. We're going to go through the first topic here, but you got a tough one for us, I hear. Uh, definitely do. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> we're looking forward to that. Yes, that'll be interesting. Well, we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every week, um, Friday afternoons on our website. Yes, you can go to moneymd.net. We have a link on the right-hand side that you can listen to the podcast. We also have uh, the link when you click on it. It'll take you back and look historically at some of the shows that we've had. And we also um, categorize it by topic. So if you're interested in retirement or long-term care insurance, we have that broken out, and you can go listen to that specific podcast. And you can also reach us by email. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from smartasset.com. And um, interesting, Steve, you know, we have people that, that um, I read in the, the news media that uh, were long in the tooth on this, um, you know, expansion. Right. And people are predicting that there's going to be a recession coming on. Well, listen to this. Australia has posted another quarterly economic um, growth. That makes 26 years in a row without a recession. Wow. Isn't that incredible? That is, fa I mean, that is fascinating. And I didn't know that. I didn't realize that there was a country out there that had gone, you know, so long, over a quarter of a century without a recession. I mean, I, I think that gives us some hope that, you know, maybe we won't fall back into this cycle of recessions and expansions. Maybe we'll hit some yeah. smooth, you know, sailing. No one knows. I mean, that's the thing is, right. is, is people out there are predicting stuff in the economy, whether it be interest rates or, or um, you know, the labor market or, or recessions, and, and no one truly knows. And so the key is, is be diversified like we talk about and have a plan. Um, right. Pretty impressive, 26 years. Yeah, it has. And we have been some long periods in our history without recessions. Yes. So it's very unpredictable. You cannot look at the clock and say, oh, it's been six years. It's The recession's going to start. So 
Um, you know, the point here is it's unpredictable. Don't try to predict it. Stay invested, stay diversified, and just stick to your long-term plan. So great fact of the week. Okay, and that brings us up to our first topic here, and that is interest rates. Um, this is based on an article out of Dimensional Fund Advisors, DFA, a fund group that we use. And, you know, they have some new research out about interest rates versus the stock market. And uh, as we know, the Fed is slated to raise interest rates today. Mm -hmm. I think it's a foregone conclusion. They're going to raise probably a quarter point. Um, Which they probably should. They probably should. I mean, they've been on this track now for a couple years, and they've kind of started doing it more consistently here this year over the last six months. And uh, But, you know, research shows that, that like stock prices, changes in interest rates and bond prices are, are largely unpredictable. You know, it follows that investment strategy based on trying to predict that or exploit those sorts of changes is, isn't likely to be a fruitful endeavor. Um, despite the unpredictable nature, though, of interest rate changes, investors may still be curious about what happens to stocks if interest rates go up. So unlike bond prices, though, which tend to go down when yields go up, stock prices, they can do either one. They can go up or they can go down with interest rates. For stocks, though, um, it can go either way because stock prices depend on the future cash flow that investors get and the long-term discount rate that's applied to those expected future cash flows. So it's kind of a math thing. Mm -hmm, you know? it's, mm -hmm. All these future cash flows and dividends are discounted back to today. So when interest rates rise, that long-term discount rate, it may increase, which in turn could cause the price of the stock to fall. However, it's also possible when interest rates change that the expectations about future cash flows from holding a stock could also change. So this isn't helping much. Yeah, I know. It sounds complicated, <laughs> doesn't it? I mean, you're exactly right. It could so, go up, it could go down, right? Exactly. So yeah, I mean, if the theory doesn't tell us what the overall effect should be, the next question is, what does the data say? Because there's a lot of data on there, this. There is. And Dimensional Fund Advisors, um, we, we call them DFA, is the fund company that we use. And they're really, really good at research and the, and the data analysis. And they've done some recent research to, to help provide some insight in this question. And the, and the research really examines the correlation between monthly U.S. stock returns and a change in interest rates. And it shows that while there's a lot of noise in the stock returns, um, and no clear pattern. There's really not much of a variation uh, that appears to be, you know, related to the changes in the interest rates. Yeah, that's that, a conclusion, and we'll go into some more detail here. But there doesn't seem to be a correlation. Yeah, that's exactly right. They had a graph on this article, and it's very interesting to see that the the data plots. It was just a scatter plot, you know, and and it looked like a normal distribution. There was absolutely no pattern to it whatsoever. Yeah, for example, in months when the federal funds rate rose. Stock returns were as low as 15% down, minus 15%, or as high as, as a positive 14%. Mm -hmm. In months when rates fell, when rates went down, returns ranged from minus 22% to a positive 16.5%. Yeah, pretty big so, yeah, variation. Pretty similar range, big variation. So given that there there are many other interest rates besides just the Fed funds rate, um, you know, they also examined, examined the long-term interest rates and then found very similar results. Um, long-term rates did not have pr produce a predictable pattern mm -hmm. of what the stock market did. 
So to address the initial question, you know, when interest rates go up, do stock prices go down? The answer is yes, but only about 40% of the time. The remaining 60% of the month, stock returns were positive. <laughs> so go with the odds. That's right. Go with the odds. But that's that's long-term history. Sure. Stocks do go up more yeah, than they go right. down. Absolutely. So that's just kind of the, the long-term, you know, that's the reason why we invest in stocks mm-hmm. because the odds are in your favor. They're just going to go up. Well, we've already seen a couple of rate, rate hikes and the market has continued to go up. So. It has. It has. Yeah, this split between the positive and negative returns was about <clears> the same when examining all the months not just those when interest rates went up. So in other words, there's not a clear link between stock returns and interest rate changes. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line, like you're saying, Steve, is there really is no evidence that investors can uh, reliably predict changes in interest rates. I mean, even with perfect knowledge of what's going to happen with the future interest rate changes, I mean, this information provides little guidance um, uh, about the, the stock returns in the future. So instead, you know, staying investing and avoiding the temptation to make changes based on these short-term predictions uh, it probably will increase the likelihood um, that you're capturing what the stock market has to offer. So, again, there are people out there, you know, that will, you know, discount this. Right. But you look at the data and the data speaks volumes. That's right. Now, what the study doesn't really address is, you know, there are individual companies out there um, that that are affected. There are sectors that are affected by interest rates. We all know that. I mean, they can be a drag on companies that face higher financing costs. Um, you know, they can be hit particularly hard by rising interest rates and include sectors like utilities and real estate investment trusts, which tend to be highly leveraged. Utility companies, they issue bonds routinely to pay for expensive infrastructure and power plants. And those as those bonds mature, they have to refinance them at higher rates, which directly and significantly does affect their bottom line over time. You know, by the same token, um, real estate investment trusts typically hold mortgages on their properties, which mature at different intervals. So a diversified REIT has maturities that come due every year, and they have to renegotiate those those loans with banks mm-hmm. at higher rates when rates are going up. Yeah, on the flip side, you know, one of the sectors that tends to do well when the, the rates are rising are financial stocks. I mean, you know, it, that allows banks... Um, to make more money on deposits as they increase the spread between what they pay you in interest on the deposits and what they charge customers for loans um, and making they they make overnight deposits as well. Uh, another positive is that the fixed um, fixed income piece of your portfolio will likely start yielding more as uh, as rates rise. So bonds and money market accounts will certainly start paying higher interest over time. Of course, this takes a while because the rates are not projected to rise that much. You're talking about a quarter of a percentage right now. So so after a number of years, you'll start feeling that impact. That's right. That's right. But, you know, here is the big possibility for interest rates to help your portfolio because there is a significant rotation out of bonds into stocks as the intermediate longer maturity bonds start to feel some of the pain from the the lower bond prices and the higher yields um, because there is this inverse relationship between bond prices and yields. And so when rates go up, bond prices go down. So, And there's a huge amount of investment dollars that have flowed out of equities into bonds over the past decade and there's this process called de-equitization that took place over the past decade. And that trend of de-equitization of portfolios in favor of bonds is linked to interest rates. And it tends to be reversing. Um, bond yields and prices, they're inversely related. 
as I mentioned. Um, so as as rates have continued, as yields have continued to fall, investors generated capital gains on existing bond portfolios. And so that's the reason why people were putting more and more money into bonds. But that that tends to be turning around. Yeah. However, you know, with bond yields starting to rise again, investors certainly are starting to, to rethink their strategies when it comes to, to, to bonds. I mean, this reversal has been underway since the uh, last quarter of 2016, but it still, it still appears to be in the beginning stages. Uh, when you look back at, at 2016, net inflows into these bond funds remained very strong, especially in the U.S. and also in emerging markets. But net inflows into equities really only started to improve at the end of 2016 after the election. And, and we see that in the, the results of the markets. They've done fairly well since the election time. That's right. And it's, it's kind of a cause and effect in the sense that um, when the market starts to go up, you see more people putting more and more money into stocks and it kind of feeds on itself. Of course, no one knows what the real effect will be on the stock market from rising rates. So you have to stay diversified in a portfolio that meets your risk tolerance level. Um, we've seen markets do well in rising rate environments like 2003 to 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, markets did really well um, when they, the Fed was on a rate raising campaign at that time. But at the same time, it didn't do so well in 1994 when they kind of gave a surprise rate increase there in back um you know, 20 something years ago. However, I mean, we can certainly be optimistic that there could be a rotation back into stocks from bonds um, as interest rates go up and that could really help stock prices going forward. But it's amazing to know how much money there is out there sitting on the sidelines in cash and in bonds. So perhaps we will see a rally as money moves back into stocks. Um, of course, it's unpredictable. You know, there's so many other factors like earnings, currency swings, the economy that affects the markets. So, but the good news is this DFA research shows conclusively that there's no evidence that rising short-term interest rates hurts the market in the short term. Good to know. So good to know. Interesting information. All right. And that leads us up here to the question of the week. And we have a uh, special guest, Jim Travis, here with us. He's going to ask us a pretty tough question. And, and before you start, I'll say that um, for those of you listening to the podcast, if you want to go to our um, to Facebook, uh, MoneyMD, uh, we'll have a video of the three of us sitting here discussing his tough question. I don't know if we're going to start sweating with this question or not, Steve. Are you ready for it? Yeah, we're All ready. Right. Well, ahead. here we go. Let's and go. thanks. This is really great to be here. Uh John I, and, and Steve, I do one of those things that, that you all tell your clients not to do. Uh-oh. 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 Here it I comes. Here we markets, go. I follow the markets daily. Okay. I don't make decisions, though, based on performance, but I, I do like to watch it over a period of time. I have done this over the, the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. One thing I notice is that my portfolio does not follow the Dow. Mm-hmm. I am amazed at how much different it performs versus the Dow. Now, my question is, why is there such a difference? And what do you all use to measure how these dimensional funds are doing? Well, well, first of all, I've had this question from him for the last 10 years. Have you? Okay, I was going to say, that's a great <laughs> so question. It really is. It's not the first time we've heard that question. That's right. And so we, we talk, obviously, um, being my dad, we talk very frequently about the markets and sure. so forth. And he's always um, asked me that question and so forth. And so I'll let you take a crack at it. And we'll see if it's a different answer than what I've given him <laughs> okay. in the past. Okay, well, sure. 
Well, Jim, I mean, as you know, and, and, and hopefully everybody out there listening knows, in our portfolios, we are extremely well diversified. We have 8 to 12 different asset classes in our portfolios. So only a very small part of our portfolio matches the Dow. In fact, the Dow is actually only 30 stocks. Um, but it know. is the it is the kind of the banner of the stock market. It's on all yeah. the news organizations. It's you know, it's like the Dow did this, the Dow did that, and it's deceiving when you look. But sometimes at it. you all mention the S and P. That's right. Well, That's the right. S and P is five hundred stocks, so it's it's more so, of a broader, but it's still measure. just large U.S. And right. so exactly, you know, the way we believe in structuring portfolios is having a lot of small stocks because historically there's been higher returns. We don't know what's going to happen in the future, but historically it's been a good place to invest. And then the international markets is another good place. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we have, like I said, 12, up to 12 different asset classes that we use. And uh, the Dow represents large U.S. and it does correlate well with the S&P 500 and, and large U.S. stocks. That's one asset class in our portfolio it represents maybe 10 to 12% of our portfolio. So that means there's another 90% roughly of right. different things. Emerging markets, um, exactly. a lot of times does different things. International, they'll rotate, you know, leadership when you look at it over time. And so, um, I'm always amazed when I talk to you at the end of the day, cause I, we watch, um, things throughout the day and you can see, well, the Dow did this or the international did that. And, um, it is, you, you can't look at the Dow and tell the performance of the portfolio. And, and over time, you know, because we had the small stocks and the international, it's usually going to be different, um, when you look at it, um, on a daily basis. So, yeah. Now there are times when the Dow, when everything rises together, the sure. Dow, and falls in 2008, it was all down. And there tends to be more correlation when they're falling, in fact, than mm-hmm. they're, when they're rising. But when they're rising, you know, I mean, for instance, international stocks have done terrific this year mm-hmm. and have outpaced the Dow and the S&P and, and, uh, by large margins. On the flip side, small stocks have actually lost money this year. Go figure. I mean. Yeah, but that small's coming off last year where, where they made they 25 to a huge year. percent. So okay. that's. So there's a lot of things underneath the hood. And I know we've had this discussion. I'm yeah. glad that you, you, um, that you, you know, told the audience that you don't make decisions based on the, the daily performance <laughs> right. and watching it daily. There's not many people that can watch this daily and, and not get emotional. No, about you would it. not, you would not be able to do that. Yes. That's, for, that's yeah, right. Sure. Yes. Yeah, and the diversification. I mean, that is very definitely a key. There's mm-hmm. no question about that. Yeah. It helps you get through some rough markets. Uh, you yeah, know, the 2008 uh, are difficult and also, and you know, we talked about bonds. Um, another piece of the portfolio is not just the equity side, but it's also bonds and making sure you have, short-term high-quality bonds, which help you when the when the markets aren't yeah, doing well. Yeah. You can still take income from that. So, okay. Yeah, I'll actually say I think it's good news that our portfolio doesn't follow the Dow because that proves diversification is working. Mm-hmm. You know? I would, I would, yeah, that sounds, yes. Exactly. <laughs> you agree with that. That's I mean, good. Because, you know, the Dow can go through, <laughs> that's large U.S. stocks. It can go through a tremendously long periods of time like, it did from 2000 through 2009 where it made zero or the S&P 500 did. I that's guess the right. Dow made a little bit. That's but. right. And so that, it's, it's a good point. I mean, so being in one asset class like, like you know, the S&P 500 index, which uh, unfortunately that's a mistake a lot of people make is they'll see the performance of a of one asset class and then they'll go to that. And then it can go for five or 10 years and make nothing. So that's why we believe in diversification. It's actually, it's proven to, to reduce volatility and be a safer way of investing. So good question of the week. You're our first, first person but in here. I will answer the second part of your question that we do track all the funds very closely. 
we track them against indexes that match those asset classes. So it gets complicated. I mean, there are 12 different indexes that you can track each fund against. And so we certainly are measuring performance to make sure they are keeping up and capturing the asset class rate of return. We, we do that every quarter. We look at it very closely. And I could tell you, you know, the funds we use have done a terrific job of, of matching those asset class returns and even beating them in most yep, cases. That's right. So, yeah. uh, but that's a great, great question. You definitely yeah. want to measure. Right. So tune in to, to Facebook if you're listening to us. You can you can see us on there. That. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank you. Okay. Great question of the week. Thanks, Jim. All right, and that leads us up to our next topic here, and that is having the money talk with your children. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, this is really, really important. I mean, your kids have to know, mm-hmm. you know, how to handle money, and they're not going to get it from school. Yeah, that's right. They're not teaching it in uh, in a lot of a lot of classrooms. Uh, South Aiken is. Um, you know, we we actually right. did did sponsored uh, Dave Ramsey's material and into um into the uh, the classrooms, and we get really good feedback on that. But you know, a lot of a lot of young adults, um, you know, they do acquire some financial literacy. Sometimes it's classroom. Sometimes it's in the workplace. We do see um, workplaces, you know, doing more and more uh, education. Um, but you know, others lack such knowledge, and they learn money lessons by Paying, as William Blake says, the price of experience. And we see that people coming in here saying, I wish I would have known this in my 20s. That's right. If I had a dollar for every person that said that, you know, it'd be a very large amount of money because people want, they want that information earlier and a lot of times they're not getting it. Um, so, you know, there's been some studies that have been done. Last year in 2016, U.S. Bank did a uh, study. They surveyed 1,600 um, American high schools, high schoolers and undergraduate students. And the bank found that just 15% of students felt knowledgeable about investing. And for that matter, just 42% felt knowledgeable about deposit and checking accounts. So very, very small numbers. And then that's, that's unfortunate. 15% know about investing. It's not. Yeah, that's, that's terrible. Um, you know, we certainly need to teach our kids better. And I think this is a really important topic. Yeah. Relatively few students understood the principles of credit. Um, in fact, Fifty-four percent thought that having too many credit cards cards would negatively impact their credit score. Forty-four uh, percent believed that they could build or improve their credit rating by using credit cards or debit cards. Uh, but neither per, uh, perception is actually accurate, and, and I think most people have misperceptions mm-hmm. about this or, or misconceptions about this. In fact, there's something called the credit utilization ratio which is really what matters and your consistency of making payments, of mm-hmm. course, you know, on time is the biggest factor when it comes to credit cards. That's right. So uh, one of the questions that we're looking at here is are parents teaching the ch- children well about money? And, you know, maybe not. There's an interesting difference um, of opinion that really stood out in the survey results. 40% of parents of the survey respondents said they had taught their kids specific money management skills, but only 18% said they had received that instruction. So 40% is still a very low number. It really is. So 40% of parents said, hey, yeah, I did some teaching, and only 18% said, yep, I, I received it. So there's a disconnect there. and Definitely. Yeah, and so a, a young adult, you know, really has to go out there and make the mistakes, unfortunately. Um, you know, high-interest debt really should be avoided whenever possible. But when it's unavoidable, um, it should be one of the first debts to be attacked. Now, Dave Ramsey has a little bit different 
perception on that, taking yep. um, the smallest one first. But you know, trying to avoid credit cards, um, a lot of them do carry double digit interest rates. It, it'll sink you. I mean, it's hard to recover from that. So, um, one of the skills that people you know need to learn is budgeting. It's a great skill for young adults to master, and uh, it can keep them out of some stressful financial predicament. So, we talk about budgeting quite a bit on the show. Yes, we do. Another thing they have to be mindful of is insurance. Um, at or before age 26, you know, health insurance has to be addressed because under the Affordable Care Act, young adults, they can remain on their parents' plan until they're 26. Um, you know, this applies even if they marry or become parents or live away from home. Uh, but what happens is when they turn 26, you know, they have to get on their own plan. Um, and if they sign up for an HMO, they, they need to understand how the out-of-pocket costs work with that. I mean, you have to stay in pocket, in, in network mm-hmm. with that. So they have to understand how the network and out-of-network works. They also need to understand that, you know, there's potentially lower premiums they could pay if they enrolled in a high deductible plan or an HSA qualified plan, I think is a great option that they need to look at. Um, but there are trade-offs on all of those. So, you know, if you go into a hospital stay, there's deductibles and there's co-pays that you have to pay. So they really do need to understand health insurance. It's very important. So they need to look at all their options, mm-hmm. you know, before they turn 26 and get off their parents' plan. Yeah, absolutely. Medical is a big piece of the puzzle um, when you start looking at financial stability. And lastly, I mean, there's no no ideal time other than today to start investing. So, you know, any parent would, would do well to direct their son or daughter to a financial professional of good standing and um, you know, has some significant guidance in building that wealth. And I know we meet with um, the, the sons and daughters of clients, uh, frequently, you know, some of them are in college, sometimes they're in high school and we talk to them about some of these basic principles. And, you know, if a young adult aspires to retire confidently later, this should be one of the first steps. Um, you know, get the young investor, get them talking to someone who has some experience, um, whether it's a financial advisor, maybe their parents have done a good job with it, but start them young. Um, and you know, and a money talk doesn't cover all the topics at once. I mean, there, there are different ways to get some of these topics. If you're listening in this today and you have kids or grandkids or you know of, you know, youth, groups out there. We, we talk to young, young people all the time on this. And, yep. and really we start off with, um, we're, we're believers in, uh, in giving and uh, having emergency funds as a basis. And, um, then there's a place for investing and retirement discussions and so forth, but we're more than happy to, to talk to, you know, any kid that'll listen to us basically, cause they need to have that knowledge. And then the step after that is to actually have some action steps coming out of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would encourage them to send their kids through Financial Peace University. Yep. You that's know, exactly I mean, right. that's a, what a great resource that is. Um, it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, goes over the course of what, nine weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, they'll really have a different insight into money and debt and what money can do for you or do to you if it's not treated properly when they come out of that course. So I think that's a great step, particularly when they. When they hit their 20s, when they graduate college, that ought to be one of the first things they do, I think, yeah, is I go give, through that. Give them a graduation so, present. Exactly. Buy the material. Exactly. It's great. So, a great topic. Okay. And that leads up to our last thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah. So, we, you know, um, my dad talked a little bit about the uh, the question of the week about the Dow versus a diversified portfolio. And, right. And, um, you know, if, if you don't know how your investments are structured, we'll be more than happy to sit down with you and kind of give you some insight into that. But, you know, a lot of people focus on the S&P 500 or the Dow because that is it's a predominant index that's discussed on the media 
um, quite a bit, and um, and it's it's deceiving. And and the reason it's deceiving is it's one small portion of the market. And what we see is diversification um, is a is a better way to invest. I mean, it reduces volatility. It certainly doesn't guarantee future returns. But when you look back at history, Stephen, we put this in our in our monthly client letter that the um, the a diversified portfolio that has you know small stocks and value stocks and some profitability stocks in there has beaten the S and P five hundred in sixty five percent of the last forty years. That's right. Right. So it's not going to beat it every year. Right. right. But over time, it gives you the best shot to beat the S&P 500, which a lot of people refer to the S&P 500 as the market. Not That's necessarily right. true, but a lot of people do benchmark themselves against the largest 500 U.S. So the prescription of the week is, is know how you're invested. Uh, a lot of people have 401ks. They have no idea what they're invested in. We can help you look at that and make some decisions on are you properly invested and then make some changes. Yeah, exactly. Make sure you're properly diversified and understand what that means, too. Don't just take the the buzzwords for granted. I mean, actually check into it. Know how many asset classes you have and what your weightings are and make sure that you're really well spread out and you're taking advantage of the dimensions of higher return that you referred to with small stocks, value stocks, Mm -hmm. profitability stocks. That will give you a better chance of of making a higher return over time. So great prescription of the week. Okay, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week for more prescriptions for your financial help. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks to Jim for being here. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Great being here. Yes, thank you. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.